Lots of channels, nothing to watch, especially if you're searching for the truth. It's time to interrupt your regularly scheduled programs with something actually worth watching. Salem News Channel, straightforward, unfiltered, with in-depth insight and analysis from the greatest collection of conservative minds like Hugh Hewitt, Mike Gallagher, Sebastian Gorka, and more. Find truth. Watch 24-7 on SNC.TV and on Local Now, Channel 525. Time for the El Conservador Radio Show with George Rodriguez. George is a constitutional conservative who loves to expose fake news and liberals. Be a part of the show. Call 210-308-8867. And now, El Conservador, George Rodriguez. Howdy, 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 my friends. George Rodriguez, El Conservador, talking to you from San Antonio, deep in the heart of South Texas. Welcome to the show, my friends, on this beautiful August 24th, 2019. Um, once again, my friends, I hope that you're going to share this program with other folks. I hope you'll call folks and tell them to, to tune in. So what's going on in the world of illegal immigration and uh, border crime? Well, we're going to catch you up on that. We've got um, three very, very good guests. First of all, we've got Mr. Jason Jones, who is our border security specialist. We get him on a regular basis uh, on here. And uh, Jason's going to be talking to us about the recent cartel war that's broken out in Mexico. This is very important to us, my friends. Now, you know, you've seen this, the movies, uh, you've seen the movies uh, about the 1920s gangsters, the organized crime folks that used to shoot each other up uh, over liquor, over prostitution, all this sort of stuff, you know, Al Capone, that kind of stuff. That is literally what is happening uh, south of the border. Only this time around, it's a little bit, it's much more ruthless. And it's, uh, I mean, it's no holds barred. Uh, bar. It, it is war. It is wide open war. Uh, and uh, recently there was a situation just south of Nuevo Laredo, south of the border, where uh, six bodies were found hanging from a bridge. And this seems to be a, uh, a typical way of, of uh, cartels, of the gang groups sending uh, messages to each other. They were, these six individuals were found hanging from a, from a bridge. Uh, there was also the situation where uh, the 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 governor, the governor of the state of Tamaulipas, which is uh, right on the border and which is Nuevo Laredo, he was in a panic uh, last week because there was a caravan, not of migrants, <laughs> a caravan of gangsters moving into his community. The um, the uh, uh, cartels, um, you know, they uh, they're fighting for territory because uh, people paying high dollar to enter the United States, as well as the cost of drugs, uh, has has gone up because the border has become tighter. And as the border becomes tighter, the border becomes more secure. It's uh, it's more risky uh, to get in. And so you've got to pay high dollar for uh, to, to get in. Um, there has been a drop off in the number of people entering the United States right now. Uh, in the number of apprehensions, but they they figure that that's uh, due to uh, not only the added border security, but to the heat. Uh, the past couple of days in ta- San Antonio, it's been uh, above 100, and it gets much hotter than that just south of us uh, in the in the Sonora Desert, in the South Texas Desert. So anyway, we've got uh, Joseph, Jason's going to be chatting with us about that. We also have, we also have, uh, Miss Christina Vargas, Christine Vargas, rather. Christine, uh, her brother was killed by an illegal alien uh, a few uh, uh, a few months ago. I, I think I think a little over a year ago. And uh, the guy finally went to trial, and he has been convicted. And uh, you know, this this is this is a typical situation, my friends, where uh, a family uh, we call them angel families. Uh, they lose somebody to a uh, to a, an, an illegal alien, and uh, sadly, we've got folks that argue. Well, you know that uh, there is crime here in the United States. So why are you are you upset that uh, it's crime by an illegal alien? Well, I got news for you: an illegal alien's not supposed to be in the United States. <laughs> Let's make it clear: this tragedy, this tragedy, could have been avoided. Had this individual, first of all, not been in the United States, and number two, had the laws, had the uh, uh, policies uh, 
particularly of local government, which protects many of these people, had that not been protected, protecting an illegal alien. So this is the this is the the, the, the sad situation. We've got, you know, well, we had um, the the situation in Mecklenburg County in, in Charlotte, North Carolina, recently, where uh, the sheriff got in trouble because a rapist that was uh, that was caught. Uh, had been in detention, had been detained by the Mecklenburg County Sheriff in North Carolina, Charlotte, Charlotte, uh, the city of Charlotte. They, he had been detained, and he went out and he com- and he raped again a repeat offender, an illegal alien who was on supposed to be on a detainer, who was supposed to be turned over to uh, immigration. He went out and raped a five-year-old black girl. I, 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 incredible, my friends. Incredible. So uh, these things, my friends, these things are, have got to be, it's got to be addressed in some form or fashion. Finally, we've got, uh, we've got uh, a, uh, uh, a representative from CLEAT. CLEAT is the Combined Law Enforcement Association of Texas. And uh, that, uh, that they are the group that uh, uh, speaks and lobbies and defends uh, the uh, police officers and sheriffs, sheriffs uh, well, law enforcement, all law enforcement folks um, in, uh, a, a, that, uh, that uh, are either facing lawsuits or, or, or they represent themselves uh, at, or represent them, rather, at, uh, at uh, the state uh, 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 legislature. And uh, we're going to be chatting with Cleet, with these folks, about liberal restrictions that are happening uh, in local communities which are endangering them, the police, and the public. For example, for example, um, we've already heard, we've talked a little bit about the, the terrible situation in, um, in, in Los Angeles uh, where the police officers are, gonna ha- are, are having to wear masks and uh, gloves whenever they're breaking up fights or arresting anybody who is homeless because the homeless uh, situation there has gotten so nasty, so dirty, uh, so polluted that uh, you know these guys are afraid of uh, of picking up um, diseases and taking them home, and uh, you know that we've seen the same thing with the border patrol. The border patrol has been faced with the same situations. Uh, I've got border patrol friends who were telling me constantly that they've taken home colds and measles and everything else because they did not know. Uh, what uh, these uh, these immigrants were carrying, and the same thing is happening now uh, in Austin and uh, here in San Antonio. Nobody's saying too much about it. Uh, it's happening in every city around the nation, where the homeless population is is skyrocketing, and it's skyrocketing not because uh, we've got more homeless necessarily, but because we've got situations where uh, the local community is encouraging people to live on the street. And uh, what's happening is that uh, very, very simple. Uh, I've, I've got a doctor friend I was talking to. People would rather, there are people, my friends, yes, believe it or not, there are people who would rather pay for drugs than pay their rent. There are people who would rather uh, buy booze than pay their rent. There are families who don't know what to do with their, uh, with their alcoholic or drug abusive uh, family members, and so they kick them out. And these folks, my friends, are ending up in the street. The other thing that's happening with these folks that are ending up on the street is that um, they uh, will get picked up. They will get, be put in a facility, uh, give, be given proper uh, medication, dried out, whatever you want to put it, um, and then sent back into the street because the ACLU, because liberal lawyers have said that they have rights, these folks go right back out in the street. And they do it all over again. It's very, very sad. I've talked to ministers who are, who are trying to minister to them on this very, very situation. And it's very difficult. Folks, it's very difficult when somebody does not have self-control because of their personality conflicts or because of their, their, their problem. It is. It should not be up to the police department to, uh, to mediate and to take care of folks uh, particularly when they're already on the street. The other problem to this, my friends, the other problem to this is that uh, these people uh, victimize each other in fights, et cetera, et cetera, or they are victimized. There are so many alcoholic, drug-abused women in the street who end up getting raped and beaten 
that it, it, it you know, it, it's appalling. But again, if you put these folks in an institution where they begin to, to dry out, where they begin to, uh, to, to fix themselves, the ACLU demands that they be immediately released. And fine, they are immediately released, and guess what happens to them? They fall back into the, in, into the same problem. The other issue is, and not very, very many uh, folks want to talk about it, is how illegal aliens are ending up in the street as well. Because they cannot speak the language, because they have nowhere to go, many, many have nowhere to go, because many of them uh, are being literally dumped on our doorstep by the other countries, being encouraged to move up here. We're finding, we're finding many, many more uh, illegal aliens uh, in the homeless population, and the police have to deal with it. The police have to deal with it. Uh, so, you know, it, it is a real tragic situation. And um, we're going to talk with uh, with Cleet, uh, the folks at Cleet, about this. And uh, it, it, it has it has escalated and, and gotten and gotten worse. Uh, I don't know how many of uh, of uh, you have, have have been down to uh, to uh, Los Angeles or San Francisco and seen and seen firsthand how bad the situation is. Uh, or going to Austin here, it's not it's bad, it's not at the same level, but it, it, is, it is bad. I mean, it's uh, people living in tents on the sidewalk uh, near the restaurants. And um, there was a homeless guy that, uh, that murdered a young, uh, uh, a schizophrenic uh, homeless guy that murdered a young uh, uh, UT uh, student last year. So um, it, it's a tragic situation. So anyway, my friends... Um, stick around. I hope that you'll enjoy the, the show. Uh, once again, George Moody is El Conservador, talking to you from San Antonio, deep in the heart of South Texas. Uh, I hope that you will share the program with other folks. I hope that you will call them and tell them to join us. So uh, stick around. We'll be right back. Conservador listeners, if you are interested in following George Rodriguez, El Conservador, we invite you to follow him at his internet website, elconservador.net. You can also follow him on Facebook at George Rodriguez, El Conservador, and on Twitter at El Conservador for daily commentaries. You can also purchase his book, El Conservador, Conservative Opinions, online at Amazon.com. The book contains essays and commentaries about illegal immigration, fake news, and race relations. If you are interested in inviting El Conservador to speak to your group or event, please contact him through Facebook or through the station at 9.30 a.m. The Answer. El Conservador thanks you for your support. Keep the fire of freedom burning. Once again, my friends, George Rodriguez, El Conservador, talking to you on KLUP 930 AM radio, The Answer. And uh, we've got uh, our very, very good friend, Jason Jones, uh, security, border security expert. And uh, we wanted to talk to Jason because recently there have been um, uh, news flashes about um, cartel murders uh, south of the border, as well as the governor of the state of Tamaulipas worried about a caravan. I guess it was a caravan, a convoy caravan of uh, cartel gunners moving uh, moving north. And it looks like there might be another cartel war. Uh, So we wanted to get... um, the perspective from our good friend uh, Jason. Jason, welcome to the show. Tell us, what is going on south of the border? Yeah, George, it's great to be back with you. Thanks for having me on again. Um, You know, recently we've had a a series of uh, gun battles occurring down right on the border near a town known as Miguel Aleman. sits right across from Roma, Texas, in Starr County. And basically, uh, what is occurring is that Cartel del Noreste, which is CDN, Many of your listeners may remember them as the Los Zetas are battling for control of Miguel Alaban and trying to take it away from Cartel de Golfo, also known as the Gulf Cartel. Wow. So uh, these are the are, are formerly the Zetas who were, I guess, paramilitary, weren't they? If I recall, they were. They were, they were former army guys, and they uh, they broke off and 
and uh, they uh, well, they became a cartel. So there's there's that battle now. This convoy or this group that was moving north that was is that part of this uh, this organization? I mean, the shootout and the the six that were killed. It is. We've had some real interesting events, and you know, I always talk about you know tripwires and triggers, right, and monitoring the daily tripwires so that you can understand what is unfolding and. One of the very first ones, George, that kicked off was back in mid-June when CBN, Cartel del Noreste, crossed into Gulf Cartel territory and took over a small community known as Los Guetta. That was the first tripwire that something was going to happen. And usually it takes several months for the cartel to build up their logistics, move in their armored cars, move in fuel, things like that. So I thought we would probably have it between three to six months. But something happened on August 6th, which is we had a very large gun battle across from Escobadas, Texas, near Miguel Aleman, between those two cartels. And then every day afterward, we had back-to-back gun battles uh, in the evening time. So come August 9th, now fast forward to Friday, that's when we had those Border Patrol agents, and many of your listeners may remember, uh, in the Marine units with the boats that were driving near Fronton Island when they uh, took fire from three different ambush positions from the Mexico side. Over 50 rounds fired, George. Uh, These agents, I mean... You look at the pictures of the boat. It's miraculous nobody got hit. Rounds. Very lucky that we didn't lose two federal agents in that incident. Now, all these were major tripwires that something big was about to occur. And then on the 12th, uh, we had 20 armed gunmen cross onto Fronton Island, uh, sitting right across from Los Guetta and Miguel Aleman. Those two communities are very close. And they held that island um, for about... Uh, four hours before special units with board tag from Border Patrol could arrive and, and make sure that they had moved on. So those were all major tripwires and something was going to occur. And then come August 13th, uh, that's when the war started. And CDN moved in 36 armored and non-armored vehicles full of Cicadios. I mean, we literally had tens of thousands of rounds fired. And I know you've been monitoring some of my posts. I was able to show, you know, some of the videos that were coming out from the citizens there in Miguel Alamán. Let me, let me stop you right there. Let me stop you right because one of the one of the videos shows the age, not to mention the, uh, I guess, the immaturity uh, of uh, of some of these gang members, sicarios, I guess they're called, right? And uh, these, I mean, they're 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 kids, and they just uh, just, I mean, they're just immature. And uh, reckless, and uh, I guess they have no conscience if they're going to be murdering people. Is that is that, is that mostly what what we find in these in these cartel armies? You know, it, it really depends. Some are uh, the opposite. They have great trade craft, great training. They utilize military grade weapons from uh, belt fed fifty caliber uh, rifles to grenade launchers, uh, RPGs. I mean. We are seeing some massive shifts in capabilities, and they they are trained by former special forces and a terrorist organization known as the FARC. So when we talk about, like, Cartel Jalisco, New Generation, what I see there is a group of individuals that are, you know, some of them made up of former military and law enforcement who have gone through all this training, so very specialized. What I'm seeing in this group that's moved in is, like you're saying, a lot of young people who are, you know, just infatuated with this belief of the narco culture growing up wanting to be sicarios many of them in their teens still uh however some have had training but again drug induced and uh you know it's just rather reckless too Uh, yeah rather reckless it really is the full spectrum of people but one thing i will tell you is that cdn has come back very strong the nuevo laredo plaza makes a lot of money they have been able to uh, purchase a lot of what I call the fourth-generation armored vehicles. So they have a lot of good equipment and good capabilities of training, but, yes, a lot of very young Cicadios work within that cartel. And, and where do they get the equipment? Where do they get the, the armament, the, the the guns, the equipment? Where do they get this, this kind of stuff? You know, I go back to this. This is another major failure. They have been working at this for many years. You know, if you go back to 2009, I can remember when we first started seeing what we called the monsters. And they were these great, big, heavy, Generation 1 armored vehicles that were usually 
uh, old dump trucks that had big metal plates welded to the side of them or 18-wheelers. Uh, but if you fast forward to today, you know, what we see are F-150 pickups with slide, with slide-in welded metal um, outfitted very well in glass that they can buy from companies that sell bulletproof glass here in states and, and around the world. So air tradecraft in building armored vehicles is very good now. And, and I'll give you a great example of that. I remember uh, when they first started putting seams in the doors because – one of the sources that we, we debriefed one time, I asked him, I said, my God, how do you defeat these monster armored vehicles? These things look massive. He said, oh, it's no problem. He said, you just run up to the door seam and you just unload a magazine and eventually those rounds will make it through and hit the driver and kill the people inside. Well, they've learned over years of battling, George, to put seams just like you would see in a professional armored car made from the United States right there in all the door jams where those bullets can't make it through. It's really impressive. Oh, my gosh. It, uh, it, uh, an armament race, I guess, that the cartels have going on. Now, let me ask you this. Let me ask you this, because this is something, you know, we have listeners all over the country. I mean, you know, uh, uh, the podcast uh, is rebroadcast nationwide. Uh, well, actually worldwide, because it goes on the link. Why would somebody in Ohio or in West Virginia... Uh, care about what's happening in Tamaulipas? Uh, great question. Great question. And the reason they should care is because everything that happens along this border affects everyone in this country now. Many of them are feeling it every day, but they just don't recognize it or link it to transnational crime. Because when we think of transnational crime, first thing most Americans think of is, is the drug epidemic, right? And for that, that is one legitimate reason. But we've got to look beyond that. Look at the human trafficking and human smuggling problem we have in this country, George. And these kind of people who are going through this kind of training that you and I are talking about today and a level of tradecraft and destruction that they're causing in Mexico, they're now throughout our country. We have cartel members living throughout our country. This is how this human trafficking epidemic is hitting us right now. And the problem is that we are not linking these crimes throughout the country because statistically, the system that captures the data, we don't have one. The Uniform Crime Report does not capture transnational crime. So as it migrates through the country, as it becomes everything from the human trafficking to human smuggling to drugs to just violence in and of itself, the American people can't see it, but they do hear glimpses and they feel it every day. And where do they see it? They hear it on the nightly news report about a human human trafficking cell taken down in their community. They hear about it from someone where a cop was murdered and a subject was linked back to Mexico, but they never hear how he was further trained and linked to the cartels. And it is just a national failure. And, and I know you hear me talk about that a lot. I, you know, I get very frustrated because we aren't looking at transnational and 21st century crimes and counting the data to show the American people how they are affected. So guys like me work with guys like you to try to get the message out. Wow. It, it, it is. It's very disconcerting. And it's, I mean, you know, we, we need to be concerned about this. We need to be concerned about it. Jason, tell the folks how they can uh, read more about uh, your triggers and uh, what is it? Trip wires and triggers uh, and uh, where they can uh, follow you. Yeah, absolutely, George. You can go to jasonjones.com. That's J-A-E-S-O-N, jasonjones.com, and you can find me there. Excellent. Once again, we've had uh, our good friend Jason Jones, border security expert, talking to us about what's going on south of the border and how it impacts on us, folks. Thank you for being uh, uh, on our show again, Jason. We'll get you back on again real soon. Sounds good, George. Great to be with you. Thanks for having me. All right, my friends, let me, let me just emphasize, let me just re-emphasize the importance of what you've been listening to with him, with, uh, in, in the discussion, uh, in this interview that we just had with Jason Jones. We've got to understand that what is going on right now with the human smuggling, with the drugs coming across the border, it is, my friends, these cartels are already having an impact. On their side of the border, it's just a question of which cartel. That's why they're all fighting with each other. It's just a question of which one is going to be in control and which one's going to make the lion's share of the money. On our side, they are just, they're already having the impact. The, uh, the, uh, uh, 
amount of drugs that comes in. I mean, there are busts, heavy busts, big busts of uh, of drugs daily on our borders. And the problem that we've got, again, my friends, is not only that the politicians, the, the Democrats are not doing anything about it. I mean, Nancy Pelosi was touring the um, the uh, border, was bor- was touring the, the McAllen sector the other day. Uh, you know, and she was told point blank by the uh, Border Patrol folks what needs to happen by the ICE enforcement folks. Not, you know, she didn't respond one one bit, not one response. And, you know, now that she's back in Washington, she's been back in Washington for over a week now, uh, you know, uh, what is she going to do? She's not going to do a doggone thing about it, my friends. So they're not addressing the problem. The other problem is that uh, we've got a lot of Republicans who are more worried about the so-called Hispanic vote than they are about the citizens in general of the United States. We need a secure border, and it has nothing to do with Hispanics. It has nothing to do with race. We need a secure border. We also need, and Jason has talked about it, I'm going to get him to talk about it again. We need to have these cartels declared terrorist organizations, my friends. Just like he was talking about, they've got big, heavy equipment, big, heavy guns to fight. We need to address this as quickly and as soon as possible. Once again, George Rodriguez, El Conservador, talking to you from San Antonio on KLUP 930 AM Radio, The Answer. Stick around, we've got more for you. folks once again george rodriguez el conservador talking to you on klup 930 a.m radio here in san antonio and uh we've got a good, very special guest uh, with us today from an organization that i really really have a lot of respect for uh we've got mr charlie brooks who's the executive director of uh, the combined law enforcement association of texas better known as cleat and uh we want to welcome charlie to the show and charlie briefly tell us what does cleat do what 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 does cleat do Oh, I'm sorry. Clayton, <laughs> I'm sorry. Clayton, thanks for having us on. And uh, we we uh, are the union for the rank and file officers across the state, uh, regardless of their assignment. And um, they've created CLEAT for themselves to have basic uh, rights of employment to, to be able to have a fair, just uh, shop at uh, their day. In, in court and to have a, an attorney because they're facing more and more uh, very wealthy, uh, uh, very well-connected politically, enemy, political enemies who uh, uh, come at them from every angle. And even the, uh, even the criminals have uh, uh, specialized legal defense on speed dial. So officers uh, need cleat. They formed it in 1976, and uh, we've been working for them ever since. Wow. Uh, let me ask you, uh, because we're seeing a lot of legislation at the local level, both or- city ordinances as well as state legislation across the country, that in some ways uh, seems to be restricting what uh, police officers can do in, uh, in, in the name of public safety, which, you know, t- to me, it's mind-boggling. I mean, but um, what is our state? What, uh, has our state done any kind of, uh, of legislation that uh, you would consider to be uh, you know, anti uh, or, or or not helpful to the police uh, police at work. Absolutely, uh, nationally, maybe even internationally, there's a sea change in worldview of, of how uh, the police are being perceived, and we come from being the protectors and uh, part of the community that's very honored and and, uh, and and seek to serve and protect to almost being seen as, as the enemy in some places. So state legislature is no different. And um, I have plenty of criticism for, for both parties. And in this Republican-led uh, state legislature, uh, they sought in the House to ban Class C arrest. It was filed in the Senate by a Republican. It was filed in the House by a Republican. And we beat it back after seven attempts uh, I'll say this, we won, but we don't want a rematch because it's almost in uh, miraculous places where we were able to, uh, to drag this thing out. It was it, The whole concept that Class C arrests are somehow misused by the police is just a lie. It, 
if you look at the millions of stops across the state, we're talking about traffic or pedestrian stops, whatever they are, of those, only a few thousand uh, resulted in, a, in an arrest. And if you look at those, the majority were warrants. The police officer duty-bound to arrest you if they find out you're wanted on a warrant. They have no choice uh, in the matter, and that's what the public requires, and that's what the system requires of them. And so in this name of, of you know criminal justice reform, they want to balance all the changes on the backs of the officers. So if you look at it, uh, the same people pushing the ban of Class C arrest also wanted to open up an officer's employment file on unsubstantiated claims. So if you just if you're an angry drug dealer, a street person, you're having acts to grind against the police, or just in a bad mood, you make an unsubstantiated claim. They, the, the Department of Internal Affairs looks at it and. There's nothing there, and the officer did nothing wrong. That still would have been released to the media and to the public, and especially to the criminal defense attorneys, who uh, it's their job, of course, to uh, to defend the criminals. So both these items were beat back. I give our, our, our lobby team of officers, some from San Antonio, I give them credit where it's due. We worked very hard day and night, and we had some good fortune, and we know the system, but we get no help out of either party. And uh, in the end, uh, I'd say that uh, bad times are ahead. Now, let me ask you, because this this whole criminal system reform that, uh, you know, uh, movement that is uh, being pushed along, particularly in this in this presidential uh, season right now, um, you know, we've got uh, we've already got sanctuary cities uh, that uh, that curtail uh, working local police working with uh, with uh, immigration officials uh, and we've got uh, situations where the the police um, have to be careful how they deal with the homeless how are these things uh, impacting on, uh, on on the police uh, on police uh, at the local level well the community doesn't make a distinction between the law and the policy and the officer standing in front of them and so when all of a sudden your property's in danger there's been some change or uh, you have drug dealers, uh, homeless folks that through no fault of their own may be uh, in a bad situation, and and the police aren't allowed to move them along, help them find. And, and you you all know the 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 facts that officers truly care; they wouldn't be in this profession uh, after 26 years of police. I've, I've yet to meet someone that got into law enforcement for the wrong reason. They all got in because they want to help, they want to make a difference. And so when they can't get someone to a shelter, they're not allowed to tell someone who's really just maybe mentally ill, don't even know who they are, uh, that you can't put your box, your your tent, and right here in front of someone's property where people are trying to go to work or the kids' school. When they can't do that, the public then turns on the officer, and they don't, they don't understand that the policy decisions were, were made higher up. And so... When it comes to the hypocrisy of all this, I would point to uh, to a native San Antonio son who uh, who literally, when he was mayor and seeking to be mayor before that, openly sought the support of the police, sought the San Antonio Police Officer Association and the Cleet endorsement, sought their economic support of their political action committee or PAC, and and literally was a friend of the police. And now, all of a sudden. The political winds have shifted, and uh, and all of a sudden we're interested in a reform that never crossed their lips until polling changed. And so, facts are, police officers are going to face harder times, more questions. We might as well brace for that and stand the ground in the sense that officers are employees. They have some basic rights. Uh, they have the right to uh, to employment. Uh, they shouldn't be falsely accused and, and driven out of, of their job for political reasons. Those are places where uh, the unions have to uh, dig in and hang their hat. And uh, I'm proud of Cleet and, and proud of San Antonio officers for, for their work in this area. Yeah, I uh, I was speaking to uh, some teachers uh, who are you know on their way back to school at this season at this at this time of the year again. And um, they were flat telling me about how difficult discipline is among a lot of the young people now. 
Um, I would imagine that that lack of discipline uh, spills over into the streets, uh, particularly when a police officer is uh, is doing their their job uh, in stopping someone. Uh, am I correct in assuming that? Well, in San Antonio, have uh, you have uh, folks uh, the, the the cop walkers and other uh, organizations that that follow officers, try to follow them home, try to take pictures of their personal vehicle license plate, try to uh, watch them going in and out, and try to get their their names off their uh, uh, off their uniform, and just uh, just absolute harassment that it wasn't uh, wasn't appropriate. Uh, just a short time ago, and, and still isn't, of course. And so, part of, part of the fault lies that as uh, as community's population explodes, like Texas has had, and then you're going to have uh, you know some crime, you have some changes in communities. Those are social circumstances that can be changed. The officers are are trained, highly trained, the most trained in the country. In fact, if you come to Texas to be a police officer from another state you have to have remedial training or train the best uh when you when you look at that then you get in a circumstance where uh you have to ask yourself do they really understand that these are workers that these are shift workers that are highly trained and they have uh, the ability under the law to make decisions there or right in the street uh, what do they really want be safe for the community to be safe, to come home to their families at the end of their shift. That's what they really want. So the public has lost sight that officers, even though they have to be an arm of the government, they're not political. Yeah, they're, they're, they're not your typical bureaucrats, that's for sure. Safety. Put your hands where they can see them on the steering wheel at 10 and 2, answer their questions, do exactly as they say. If an officer makes a mistake at that site right there, when they're talking to you, there's a plethora of remedy in the law to protect the individual citizen. And the officers know it. They're wearing cameras, for goodness sake. So you can you can count on the officers to try to make the, the best of the decision. That's not something we can even count on our elected officials to do. That's right. You know, uh, I've got to share this uh, with, with you and with the public because my uh, – I, I, you know, I am an, an American of Mexican descent, and I was born and raised in. I was born in public housing. I was raised on the south side of San Antonio. I have never been afraid of police officers. I've never been afraid of the border patrol. So, you know, I, I just, uh, I'm not sure. I guess it's it was my upbringing that 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 caused that. Uh, what what would you share here in the closing moments with the folks uh, as far as Cleet is concerned and uh, and and your work? Is there anything that you'd like to leave us with? Well, just remember that these officers, besides being highly trained and educated, you've invested a great deal in them, and they have your best interest at heart. It's their job. It's not their job. It's their calling. But I would just ask the folks to know that uh, that on the wall at the Peace Officer Memorial on the state capitol grounds are the names of over 2,000 officers that have been killed in the line of duty in Texas. Texas is the largest state. Now, think about that. The 13 colonies had a head start, for sure. Even the Midwest had a head start. And Texas is the largest number of officers killed in the line of duty, the majority by gunfire. Wow. So I would ask the public to think about that, the fact that we, our work has been to protect those officers and their families. And when something happens to them, to provide for them and force state government and politicians, listen, they didn't even lower the flag at state capitol until Cleet pushed to have law to force them to do that, it wouldn't build a wall until our founders at Cleet pushed and forced to make that happen. So nothing in Texas politics is easy, of course, but as we're talking about reform, let's be careful not to balance the reform on the back of working folks. They're trying to protect you, your family, your community, your life, your property. Charlie, thank you very, very much for being on the show. I want to get you back on, please. Uh, let's uh, let's stay in touch because I want to get you back in t- in, in, uh, on the show on on this uh, on other matters that are so critical to us. Thank you very, very much for the work that you do in, in defending our our, our uh, police officers. Thanks, sir. El Conservador listeners, if you are interested in following George Rodriguez, El Conservador, we invite you to follow him at his internet website, elconservador.net. 
You can also follow him on Facebook at George Rodriguez El Conservador and on Twitter at El Conservador for daily commentaries. You can also purchase his book, El Conservador, Conservative Opinions, online at Amazon.com. The book contains essays and commentaries about illegal immigration, fake news, and race relations. If you're interested in inviting El Conservador to speak to your group or event, please contact him through Facebook or through the station at 930amtheanswer.com. El Conservador thanks you for your support. Keep the fire of freedom burning. All right, folks, once again, George Rodriguez, El Conservador on KLUP 930 AM radio. Welcome once again, folks. We've got a very, very special guest with us today. We've got Miss Miss um, Christine Vargas. And Christine is uh, the aunt. I want to be sure I get that correctly. The aunt of uh, murdered victim Jared Vargas, uh, who was uh, killed by an illegal alien back in June of uh, last year. And uh, we got her on the show because uh, just recently the uh, illegal alien was um, uh, was finally brought to justice. Uh, he was convicted. And, uh, of course, there's going to be appeals and whatnot. And, uh, but, uh, you know, he was in the country illegally, uh, a Mexican uh, illegal alien. Of course, the, the, the way that's fa- that uh, what's fa- so fascinating here is how the San Antonio Express uh, described him as an undocumented Mexican immigrant. Okay. Not an illegal alien murderer, you know, but, um, so anyway, let's welcome Miss uh, Christine Vargas. Christine, welcome to the show. Thank you for taking time. I know that, uh, you've been real, real busy today, uh, getting ready for school, getting, uh, I guess your kids ready for school. Um, but welcome to the show. Tell us, tell us what your family has been going through for the past, uh, year, with this situation? Well, first of all, thanks for having me on the show. I really appreciate it. In terms of what our family has gone through, it's really just incomprehensible and hard to describe. Obviously, immediate descriptors would be just complete horror, confusion, and a range of emotions thereafter because dealing with a loved one that's been murdered is in itself horrific. But then when you pile on a extremely brutal, heinous murder, that is makes it even worse and just, like I said, just impossible to understand, much less explain. And then um, to fold in the fact that who killed your loved one was here illegally and to find out that their death was 100% preventable is just impossible for us to wrap our heads around when we look back and kind of better understand the history of what this guy was doing before he murdered Jared. Now, let me ask you this. Let me ask you this, because I do remember it was either you or a member of your family that spoke at the Fox News uh, town hall meeting that uh, was held here. Uh, a few months ago, and I remember you, uh, one of you, either you or one of your family members, describing the headaches uh, in getting information and uh, in finding out uh, anything about this uh, this person, this illegal alien that was in in the United States, obviously illegally, and um, getting any kind of information so that uh, you know he could be properly prosecuted and so that you guys could at least understand what happened. What, uh, how difficult was that? I mean, what kind of a, of a head, runaround did you guys get from the bureaucracy? So that was really one of the biggest obstacles that we faced, kind of going back to what I said earlier about confusion, and I would just add in frustration. Because, frankly, prior to having gone through something like this, ignorance truly is bliss. We had no idea how secure and locked down all records pertaining to illegal aliens truly are. What I mean by that is I feel like on a local, state, and even federal level, that with today's technology, it's pretty easy to get public records 
digitally. You can do them online. You can even do them from your mobile phone. And then worst case scenario, you may have to take a trip down to the courthouse if you want to um, get a certified copy of something. And so as this part of our research started kicking off, you know, the first thing that we realized is that there's no immigration records online. So we went down to the federal courthouse and tried to secure them ourselves and learned that the records are actually in the immigration court. So then we went to the immigration court and were pointed to their records department. And their records department informed us that they do not keep any records physically here in San Antonio. And that if we needed those records, that we would need to file something called a FOIA. Mm-hmm. And we were unfamiliar with that acronym or that term. Yeah, freedom. Asked, free- you know, what is that? They suggested that we Google it. Yeah, Freedom of Information. Freedom of Information Act. Yes. And so that was just, you know, it just felt like one obstacle, one brick wall after another. And then as our research continued and we started getting well versed in the current administration executive orders specifically surrounding illegal immigration, we learned that, um, you know, illegal aliens are not supposed to be entitled to the same level of privacy that American citizens are. And so we're just baffled if that is the case, or perhaps the front lines haven't gotten the memo yet, how is it that I can get any information that basically I want that's a public record on an American citizen but I can get absolutely nothing on an illegal alien that's living here illegally, working here illegally, and, you know, continuing to break our laws and commit crimes. It's just it's just very hard to understand why they're so locked down and inaccessible to the general public. Now, let me let me ask you this, because one of the things that uh, that has caused a lot of uh, anger among citizens is when you've got politicians, elected officials in cities and counties, uh, or in the case of the state of California, the, the, the state legislature, that declare their jurisdictions sanctuaries or safe places for illegal aliens. Our city doesn't, San Antonio does not declare itself a sanctuary city, but the mayor makes no bones about it that we are a welcoming, and I think that a lot of communities are using that term, a welcoming community. Uh, how do you how do you feel uh, when when we've got elected officials that are you know talking that way about illegal aliens who are not supposed to even be in the country? I feel like it's outrageous. I feel like it's dangerous, and frankly, we just don't understand it. Um, we come from a family where multiple members of our family have dual citizenship, and so those members of our family are very proud of what they went through in order to get the dual citizenship. And with that said, I feel like knowing what we've learned about how frequent alias names are used and looking back on the history of all of the alias names that um, were used for the individual that murdered Jared, it's it's just outrageous and horrific that that's the position and that no one seems to be, no one seems to care about the vetting, knowing who they are, and frankly, since we have been so dedicated and devoted to this research, we now know that, as you mentioned earlier, we've gone through kind of this unusual transition from illegal alien to undocumented immigrant, and then now exclusively I'm hearing asylum. And so that alone is deeply troubling because you and I both know that the vast majority of the folks that are coming seeking asylum are, number one, not being genuine in what they're claiming in terms of all the misrepresentation that's happening on the paperwork and kind of the boilerplate answers and templates that have been provided, but also that a lot of the folks are coming for economic reasons, not fleeing violence like you keep hearing. And so it just, it's so 
simple when we think about, I mean, just think about what the crime and murder rate is in our largest cities. Our cities have more murders per capita than some of the areas that these folks are fleeing. And so when I hear that we're a sanctuary city or in in actuality a de facto sanctuary city, it's just horrifying because if we were not acting as one, um, clearly Jared's murderer would have been deported a long time ago and this would have never happened. That is so true. Here in the last moments, um, let me uh, let me just ask you then, what uh, what uh, recourses, what do you think needs to happen? Uh, if you can briefly explain to us what you think after, after going through what you're going through, what do you think needs to happen? So that is a very complicated um, question. I don't have the silver bullet or a one-dimensional solution, but we do have some thoughts and ideas on kind of a a range of topics. I would kind of start with um, the employment aspect. So whether it's E-Verify or a version of E-Verify that maybe doesn't even exist today, but that we could power with technology because it's a real problem when you have illegal aliens that are working with credentials and personal identification, social security, driver's license, to be more specific, that are either stolen purchased or borrowed, and there needs to be a way for employers to better screen these individuals and for the employers to be held accountable for what they're doing and their part in this as well. Yeah. Let me, um, let me, let me conclude real quick here because we're running out of time, but uh, uh, it, it, I think you're raising a very valid question, particularly since the person, since the illegal alien that murdered Jared uh, worked with him, and since he was illegally in the United States, he was obviously working illegally. He should never have been working. Correct. Uh, you know. So, Christine, thank you very, very much for taking time and uh, and and visiting with us. I hope that we can get you back on again sometime soon and chat with you about uh, this, uh, not only this situation, but what you're learning from this, because I think it's very important that people hear what you uh, your your experience so that they know. Uh, the problems, the problems that, that angel families are going through. Well, it was my honor, and I really appreciate your time and your advocacy. Once again, my friends, this is George Rodriguez, El Conservador, on KLUP 930 AM Radio, The Answer in San Antonio.